So this morning I want to talk about the bread of heaven. I need that thing that people use to hold harmonicas hands-free. That would be my microphone holder of choice, but um, I tried the Janet Jackson earpiece one time. It just couldn't work with it. Um, you know, quickly, I, you know, 2020. I was thinking about everything that's happened in 2020. Uh, we had the coronavirus. We've had the racial tensions, and you know the the instances of, uh, you know, police brutality, and like I said, just the, the, the racial tension. And then we've had, now we're in the elections. <laughs> I was like, this is kind of, it's been an intense year, right? And so what is happening is these are all things that are being shaken, right? And what is the purpose of things to be shaken? It's a separation, wheat from chaff. And so you have, um, for some people, the coronavirus has shaken them away from God. For some people, the racial tensions have shaken them away from God. For some people, the political atmosphere has shaken them away from God. And I do want to make one comment on about the elections that I feel like we can all agree on as Christians no matter what persuasion of political party you are, that as a Christian, how many of you know you're a Christian first, right? Jesus is your king. <laughs> is there, does everybody know that? Okay. And that this is the worldview that we, we live from, the Bible, because this is the word of God, right? And so as Christians, one thing that we can all agree on Y'all mind getting the uh, sermon up there? Is that we want God's government in our nation. Can everybody agree on that? I believe that when God's in control, everybody's blessed. Jesus is the only righteous and fair judge and king that's out there. And that's really what the longing in our hearts. And so even when you have people wanting like a socialistic utopia, it's really a longing for a reign of Jesus. They want heaven on earth. Jesus said to pray for heaven on earth. We just know that man can't, can't do it, right? Man trying to control, manipulate, and make, make things. Now, now, did Jesus give everybody the same gifts? No. All right, so I don't give Zuri a soccer ball because I gave Lydia a soccer ball. Zuri's not interested in soccer. So if I'm, I gave her a soccer ball, I was like, hey, everybody gets a soccer ball. Like, I, don't, I don't care about a soccer ball. So in that way, it's not fair because they're not getting the same gifts, but God gives gifts to everybody. So my point is, God's government looks like, hey, I'm going to set you in a garden and you're going to have to have self-control. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit is, right, is uh, love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You're not giving, he's not giving you spirit of power, but of love, power, or excuse me, not, he's not giving you spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control, or a sound mind is another way to translate that. And so like earlier this week, the Lord told me, he said, the best government, self-government. We have laws whenever we don't have self-control. We have things on the outside to enforce standards whenever we can't keep the standards ourselves. And so God, he's a God of, God's never canceled out the law. God's actually a God of laws. He just fulfilled them in Jesus Christ. And so what did the law do in the Old Testament? Well, it demonstrated the righteousness and holiness of God. And then what did it do for man? It demonstrated you can't reach it. You can't, you can't keep this law. And so what the law does, it demonstrates God's holiness and it demonstrates our need to be saved by God. So then, you, then comes Jesus. Jesus fulfills the law. He doesn't do away with it. And the way Jesus fulfills the law is that, number one, he keeps the law perfectly. That's the first thing he does. And then the second law, the second thing he does is he takes the punishment for the law, which is death. That's how Jesus fulfills the law. But the law is never done away with. And there's, and so the, the government of God started with one law, one rule, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And why did God not want them to eat of that tree? Because when we ate of it, we, we, we're ba we basically decided, you know what, God, we know what is good and evil. We know what's good. We don't need your input. We know what's evil. We don't need your input. And so what's happened is in the world, man has called good evil and evil good. We get it twisted. The only one who knows good and evil, what is good and evil, is God. And so, God's, it says in Psalm 89, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. How blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. O oh Lord, they walk in the light of your countenance. Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. So this is very clear on what God's government looks like. Righteousness and justice. And that righteousness exalts a nation but sin is a disgrace to any people and the reason things might be a little confusing in the all the narrative of the world is because somebody over here is saying no this is what's good and this person's over here saying no this is what's good no this is what's evil no this is what's evil and really we're like listen this is the only place we know what's good and evil we're very small. We don't know our right hand from our left is what God said of Nineveh, right? We don't know anything. And so, I feel like as a Christian, everybody can agree on this prayer. God, let righteousness and justice reign over this nation. 
right? We can pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Everybody can pray that. And we can be in agreement with God in that prayer. Let righteousness and justice reign in this nation. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then as believers, we've tasted of heaven and we have the privilege and the commandment from the Lord to go give heaven away because people are looking for heaven on earth. Amen. It's like my, my pastor I grew up with, he had the best amen in the world. He could lead you to the Lord whenever he prayed over the food at Wednesday night supper, but he, he'd always close his prayer. He'd do, amen. And he just, so it was, he was a master, man. Yeah. So, so I just want to pray for our nation right now. And something we can all agree on. And know that this is the desire of God's heart. Because as Christians, this is what we, we want, what God wants. It's not, about, it's not about us, it's about the Lord. So Lord, we declare over the United States, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We declare that justice and righteousness reign in this nation, Father. Let the government of your God reign in this, of, of your kingdom reign in this nation. Father, we thank you that you're on the move in the United States. And we thank you, Father, that no matter what, the word of God cannot be contained. It cannot be held in prison. And Lord, that there is no end to the increase of your government. We declare that by the authority of your word. Because that's what your word says, God. That the gospel increases every day and there is no end to the increase of your government. So, Father, over every state, all the way from the presidents down to the lower level government leaders, everything that's in contention, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Let justice and righteousness come forth in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to talk about John chapter 6, and um, this is a, so Jesus, the first part of John 6, if you want to turn there, he, he feeds the 5,000. He preaches, feeds the 5,000, and then his, they're going to go, so they're in Galilee, and they're on the, they're right out on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and they, they preach. And then after he's done feeding the 5,000, the disciples get in the boat to go to the other part, the, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and preach in uh, Capernaum. They're in Tiberias, which was another city right there on the lake. Jesus didn't get in the boat with them. While the disciples are halfway across, a storm comes up, and this is where Jesus appears on the water, and they get scared, and he says, bid me come. You know, they, they're like, come on board. And right when Jesus steps on board, they immediately reach the shore. 
Jesus transported the boat with everybody in it right to the shore. It says immediately they were where, and that's, that still happens today, all right? I know people that happen to. And so Jesus still doing the same stuff he's always done. He's the creator, so he gets to transcend his own law, right? He gets to do what he wants to. <laughs> he gets to break natural law. So that's a side note. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a big side note. I got to turn Siri off on this pad. She, I said, it's a side note. She went, mm-hmm. Seriously. So in verse 26, and so what happens is they, let me back up, they, Jesus feeds the 5,000 and they're like, it says they came to force him to make them their king. And so that's the way, that's the reason Jesus left. They saw him like, he just fed us, all of us. Now they're under Roman oppression. They're in poverty. They're on their way to Jerusalem. But they're doing that because if you don't go to Jerusalem during the feast, you're, you're not a good Jew. And like you're, you might be outcast. I mean, who knows what's going to happen, but there's, you have to make that happen. But they're, you know, they're being taxed by the Romans. They're in poverty. Jesus feeds them, and they're like, this is the guy. This is the guy. Let's go crown him king. Take him. Jesus withdraws from them. He hides away from them. And then that's when he, and so Jesus didn't, he wasn't, going to let them make him king yet. And so they wanted to make Jesus king so they could be fed, so their needs would be met, not because they wanted relationship with God. Jesus knew this, all right? So we're going to unpack that a little bit more. So in verse 26, and this is out of the Passion Translation, he says, Jesus says, let me make this very clear. You came looking for me because I fed you by a miracle, not because you believe in me. Why would you strive for food that is perishable and not be passionate to seek the food of eternal life, which never spoils? Ah, the Son of Man, am ready to give you what matters most, for God the Father has destined me for this purpose. They replied, so what should we do if we want to do God's work? Jesus answered, the work you can do for God starts with believing in the one he has sent. First things first, you got to believe in Jesus to experience the kingdom. You know, you might come into contact with somebody who's living in the kingdom and it kind of overflows into you. But to to live in that place out of your and have it follow you, <laughs> you've got to know Jesus. So we go to verse 31. It says, they replied, show us a miracle so we can see it. All right, Paul's right there. Do you understand what they're, they're saying right here? He just fed them from five loaves and two fishes. They're saying, show us a miracle. And then we'll believe in you. So, so this is... Um, this, we're getting insight into what this miracle was for the people, right? They're like, food, 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 food. It's like the seagulls in Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. And so 
But then they, we'll keep reading. It says, Moses took care of our ancestors who were fed by the miracle of manna every day in the desert, just like the scripture says. He fed them with bread from heaven. What sign will you perform for us? So what they're saying is, what miracle will you perform for us? If you have the same authority as Moses, make manna come down. Never mind you just fed us. Make manna come down. So they're asking for a specific miracle from Jesus. Now, how many of y'all, and sometimes like, so what I, I want to differentiate. I believe in asking God for, when he speaks to you, he's like, God, can you confirm that for me? I don't think there's a problem with that. He can say yes or no. But then, but then, but when you demand God act and behave in a certain way, you can only show up this way. God, you can only um, provide for me by getting me a new job instead of like something else. You know what I'm saying? So like we put God in the, it's, it's putting God in the box. So they're just putting God in the box right here. Perform, let manna rain down and then we'll believe in you. They're basically saying, no, you work for us. And then you do this. Yeah, we'll believe in you. But he won't be Lord if, they, if he did that. He wouldn't be Lord of their lives. He'd be an entertainer. And so verse 32, it says, the truth is, Jesus said, Moses didn't give you the bread of heaven. It's my father who offers bread that comes as a dramatic sign from heaven. The bread of God is the one who came out of heaven to give his life to feed the world. So the people, they had a survival mentality. They had a poverty mentality, which is not necessarily even related to how much money you have in the bank. They had a desert mentality and, and, and whatever you want to call it. But it, what it does is it focuses on the temporal. It focuses on the temporal. Jesus is just like, why do you worry? You know, why do you worry about tomorrow? Like, I provide for you every day. I mean, so I was reading even this morning, it just talks about, you know, the, whenever you make money, just like, watch it blow away. <laughs> you know, in Proverbs, it says like, kiss it goodbye, it can fly away. And it's not saying to not, that it's, it's not cursing money as bad. It's curse, it, what it's saying is, this is, you're going to have money by 80 years or plus, give or take. And then you got rest of eternity. So what are you really storing, where are you really storing your treasure? Is it in the kingdom of God or is it your, your own kingdom? So that's what matters to the Lord. There's people who make lots of money and they give away 90% of their income. You know what I'm saying? So it's not, money is not the problem. It's where your heart is. Money just usually exposes your heart. That's what money does. And so... It says in Hebrews 12, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears." So if you know the story of Esau and Jacob, Esau was the firstborn, and he was going to get the firstborn blessing from his dad, Isaac. 
Jacob disguised himself as Esau when Esau was out hunting. Isaac was blind. He prayed for Jacob. And the blessing, the Jewish thought about blessing is it's like a tangible thing. It's just like if I, I was like, here's my firstborn blessing. I gave it to Phil. And then my firstborn actually comes up and is like, I just gave it to Phil. I'm sorry, I can't get it back. I don't have more where that came from. That's kind of how they viewed the blessing. But what Esau did, he came and he, he said, I will, he said, Jacob, I'll give you my firstborn blessing if I can just have a meal. Because he had been hunting all day and what Esau sacrificed was the eternal for the temporal. He's like, give me the temporal, like comfort me right now. Never mind that. Comfort me right now. And so, so many of us, especially in the Western church where we, we've been free and we've been in prosperity, we haven't had pressure. We really haven't had pressure. There's countries that they've been in shakings for 50 years. And they've had to make the hard decisions. And so what Esau here, it, he's just kind of demonstrating what our mindset is a lot of times. Like, no, just give me the temporal. Like, comfort me now. I don't like pain. And so part of persevering in the faith over time is really what is your pain tolerance? What is your pain tolerance? Because even Jesus suffered by obeying the Father. And I don't like... I always want to put in, it's like, listen, I'm not, I'm not into this like suffering gospel, like oh, we're just worms and we're, we're here to like, no, there's abundant life available. There's abundant life available, but that, but if you're to even experience the resurrected life of Christ, you got to die to yourself. I mean, Jesus just said it. That's just, and sometimes death can be painful when your pride's being hacked at the root. <laughs> But are you? But what? And what enables you to endure pain? Is it willpower? Is it your strength? No, it's it's your love for. And this is what Jesus is bringing it all back to. He's like, listen, you you want to make me king? I'm not going to do that because it's not my time. And Jesus is coming back as king. He came as he came as a lamb first. He's coming back as a lion, and he is coming so that when Jesus came the first time, the Jews thought. He was going to overthrow Rome. They're going to have their king. It was David, king dynasty, you know, all over again. That wasn't the case. But when he comes the second time, it is going to be all the nations bowing before him, all the kings of the earth casting their crowns before him. Nations, there's going to be a parade of nations coming before the throne of Jesus. Because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So that is coming. Jesus is saying it wasn't my time yet. It's not my time. But what we can do is when somebody meets our need and they're kind of stroking that spot that needs comfort in us, we want to anoint, we want to make that person king. Let this person rule over us. Because they're giving us what we need. We don't care about relationship, they're just kind of meeting our needs. Jesus is like, I don't work that way. And so essentially, you know, Jesus is. He's even saying, I'm not going to even 
I'm not going to feed you again unless you want me first. I'm not going to even, and these people were, it's kind of, it's offensive in some ways when you think about it. Jesus is basically saying, I'm going to shut down the soup kitchen until you long for me. It doesn't mean Jesus doesn't support soup kitchens because he fed them once, right? He's just saying, now that you've seen who I am, now you need to come and receive something that doesn't wear out, that, that is not temporal but eternal, the bread of heaven. So they say, please, sir, give us this bread every day. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Come every day to me and you will never be hungry. Believe in me and you'll never be thirsty. Yet I've told you that even though you've seen me, you still don't believe in me. So Jesus, he, he remembered the first and foremost prominent temptation of the devil when he was in the desert. And that's getting humanity to prioritize all of life around their basic survival. Matthew 4, verses 3 through 4, Satan attempted to get Jesus caught up in, in that need. He said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Jesus countered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Jesus had just done a, he was finishing up a 40-day fast. He was hungry. And the devil saying, feed yourself. Comfort yourself. And Jesus is right here. So many of us, we're right at that finish line. We're right at the point of breakthrough. And the devil says, eat the bread. Eat the bread. We're like, yes, I've been, it's been hard. But, and, and so we, we break away from the Lord right at the point of breakthrough. And that's when the devil, that's when he's, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't attack Jesus day one, right? He attacked him when he was at his weakest. And so I'm, I'm counseling a guy right now, and he's in a really broken spot. And one of the things I told him, I said, I said you're on the edge of breakthrough, man. I said, this is where God breaks through. It's not the, I know you feel in a really low spot. But like, Jesus has come around the corner. You just got to like hang in there and don't, because there's lots of temporary fixes to gloss over our hearts and numb our hearts. He says, eat my body. Your ancestors ate manna in the desert and died, but standing here before you is the true bread that comes out of heaven. And when you eat this bread, you will never die. I alone am the living bread that has come to you from heaven. Eat this bread and you will live forever. The living bread I give you is my body, which I will offer as a sacrifice so that all may live. These words of Jesus sparked an angry outburst among the Jews. They protested saying, does this man expect us to eat his body? So Jesus is just offending him all kinds of ways. I'm not going to feed you again. What? You got to eat my body. What? Of course, they didn't understand that what he was talking about. But this is what Jesus knew. He knew that human need is like this endless pit, right? He even said that. He said, you'll always have the poor with you. 
And this is not, I'm not slamming the poor. Don't hear me wrong. What I'm saying is just that it's all, human need is always going to be there. And so Jesus is, we meet, we meet people's needs. We feed, he commands us to feed the poor. As much as you gave this cold cup of water to someone, you've given it to me. So Jesus is not contradicting himself. He's just like, you're just going to keep needing a man to try to meet your needs unless you come to me. And, and we, I think we've all probably ministered to somebody who's just like, we've met their needs, but they're not connecting with the Lord. And guess what? They're still needy, right? They got to come to the bread of life. They got to come where they can get fed, where they can get healed. So Jesus will not be our king on any terms other than complete giving of our hearts to him. Jesus replied to them, listen to this eternal truth. Unless you eat the body of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have eternal life. Eternal life comes to the one who eats my body and drinks my blood, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my body is real food for your spirit, and my blood is real drink. The one who eats my body and drinks my blood lives in me, and I in him. So to test their hearts, Jesus Jesus offend, will try to offend us to test our hearts. When we start, first started going to Convergence, um, people would be manifesting in the Holy Spirit, and we, you know, somebody's head was shaking 100 miles per hour, and we'd be like, what is that? What is that? And I just, I would hear, like, Jesus whisper, are you going to be offended? No, sir. I kind of want some of that. Maybe not that, but I want, I want something else. It's like give you a headache. But And then Jesus, he starts saying, all right, hey, the one day I wore an undershirt under my button-down shirt to church, so I had a, just a white undershirt on. He says, take your shirt off and whirl it around your head. I'm like, no, Jesus, no. And he, he says, yes, Travis, yes. And so, so I go off in the corner, and I start waving the shirt over my head, and I'm, just, and I'm like, oh, God. And then the fear of man just kind of breaks off me, and I start getting jivey with it. And, uh, and then one of my buddies sees me. He goes, yeah. He takes his shirt off. He starts swinging off around his head. <laughs> the other day, I was cutting grass in the yard, and the Lord said, I want you to dance in the yard. I was like, and he showed me where, and I was like, oh, not really right there, because it was by the road. And we have lots of cars come by our house. So I danced a little off back where, and, and he's like, Travis? I was like, yeah. All right, I'll, I'll go up. <laughs> so he just had me dance near the road, cars, you know, people. Why did the Lord have me do that? He just wants to see where my heart's at. Will you obey me? Do you fear people driving by that you don't know more than me who saved your life? That's the question. And so he does those things 
that will offend that will either offend your heart because he's asking you to do them or or you might see somebody doing it and it offends you and so obedience to the lord sometimes looks like just obeying him just because he says so and the purpose isn't maybe to minister to somebody but it's about your heart what's the posture of your heart to the lord and uh and just to I encourage you, just to trust those, those nudges. I mean, when we lived in seminary housing, the, the example that's coming to my mind is we had, um, the Lord said, call your friend right now. And this wasn't a close friend. And I had to, like, find her number. I call her, and she says, Travis, I was just about to call you. My brother needs prayer. He's having suicidal thoughts. And so I just I pray for him. But you never know if you don't test it. I don't think the Lord's never. If I called her and I was like, hey, I called you. And she's like, yeah? What's going on? Nothing. I just felt like I was supposed to call you. Uh, we're good. No skin off your nose. Most of the time, there's no skin off our nose when we, when we take a risk. All right? Other than maybe some pride off the nose, but so after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And Jesus said to the twelve, "Do you want to go away as well?" Jesus doesn't play games. He just—I I just love the way he's just like so confident in himself. He's like, "Hey, listen, you're my best friends, but I'm not budging on who I am. If you can't take it, then like." Do you need to go away? And then Peter gives the greatest answer of all time. Where else can we find the words of life, Lord? He's like, Peter, let's go, baby. And so, that's our response. Peter knew. He's like, I don't know my right hand from my left. I don't know good from evil. Where else can I find the words of life? Where am I going to go? Do I think? I don't. He's like, Jesus. Peter was so simple. He's like, I don't know anything, Jesus. I just want to follow you. And the faith is that simple. I don't know anything. I just want to follow you, Jesus. And he says, come on, man. Let's go. But if we think we, we're, we know more than the Lord, that's what gets us in trouble. I call this the worst church growth plan in history. Jesus shrunk his following down from 5,000 to 12 by declaring who he is truly and saying, I'm not going to meet your needs until you come to me as the bread of life. People are like, ah, I'm finding another church. I'll find somewhere else meets my needs. And so part of being a Christian, a follower of Christ, is one of our first thoughts is, how can I bless your body, Jesus? How can I bless your bride? How can I be a part of the family and contribute? But it, you will not uh, be connected to that motivation apart from knowing the Lord.
It's all about where do we go? Only you have the words of life. So I want us to uh, just transition into ministry time. And I want you just to, I want us just to worship and let the Lord speak to your heart. And in this season of COVID, racial tensions, political upheaval, <laughs> just a few things. Uh, has your heart strayed from the bread of life? Is Jesus king? And I certainly have political opinions, but they've all got to come under the cross. They've got to come under the cross. And my allegiance to Jesus, and so this is the good news, guys. You have a kingdom that can't be shaken, right? You have a kingdom that can't be shaken. But we've, we obviously vote according to what we believe is close to, in line with biblical standards. But in the end, you really don't just have that much control over the process. But the Lord does. And so we pray righteousness and justice. Let it, let it rule in this land. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Because the left or the right, that's not our enemy. The devil's been raising hell in America this year. When the coronavirus first hit, I said, Lord, what is this thing? And I saw a rider, a, a rider in a horse riding over the United States, kind of trampling underneath its feet. But I felt like it wasn't very powerful. It wasn't like the, the, the white horse rider in, a, in Revelation that wipes out a third of the Earth's population. It wasn't that. It was much weaker. And I was like, well, what is that? And the Lord, I felt like the Lord says, the spirit of fear. Now, coronavirus is real. People have died from it. I get that. But it mostly, it's been, it's been in, this, in a spirit of fear. And I'm not, listen to me, I'm not knocking precautions. So please understand that. But what I'm saying is, it's been this thing that's really tried to paralyze the church as a whole. And we had to take time to figure out what was going on. And then the churches have been slowly reopening. But guys, we're in Georgia. There's, there's states that still are, are not allowed to meet right now. Okay? But the Lord, in, in Exodus 15, it says, The rider and the horse you have trampled underfoot. And I just believe that the Lord, in, the in his miraculous salvation ways, Egypt was intimidating the Jews as they were trying to get out of Egypt. They never laid a hand on them. But it was, it was like the spirit of fear that was like on their tail. And it got swallowed up by the sea, by the Red Sea, by the blood of Jesus. And so, we're done with that. I also believe that God's racing up people across all ethnic lines that are going to be, this is, they're going to be about the gospel they're going to be about the bread of life. And they're going to be like, they will be like Moses's, Setting people free. And then I believe that God's, I believe his kingdom is coming to America. Despite all the mania. And I just would encourage you to read your Bible more than reading the news. 
the news is just spitting out the same stuff with different headlines. So just read your Bible, connect with the Lord more than the news. All right. So let's worship and just open up your heart to the Lord. Say, Lord, is there anything you want to speak to me, to me this morning?